another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Epic Agile is a full-service agile transformation company with more than 60 business coaches around the world. The company works to help organizations successfully implement business agility models and mentor business leaders as they pivot to more nimble ways of working. The company is more than a consultancy, working from the teams all the way up to the C-suite as they embrace modern ways of working. Epic in name, epic in nature. And I'm joined by co-founders and business agility strategists, Rob Gaunt and Brad Bennett. Guys, welcome to the Unicorns. Thanks, Justin. Nice to be here, mate. G'day, mate. Thanks for having us. A lovely introduction, by the way. Oh, I'm very, very, very privileged and proud to be here. <laughs> well, let's let's get into let's get into your backgrounds, guys, and how you met up to form Epic as a business. We'll start with Brad. Yeah, yeah. So um, my background um, originally is uh, I'm a technologist. I came from uh, you know kind of a technology background. Um, worked on you know in the in the nineties and early two thousands a lot of uh, initiatives and projects that um, were slow and never saw the light of day. So to be honest, I spent probably you know five ten years of my career working on things that. Um, uh, never got out there. And um, uh, really, I moved into this space because I really wanted to make a bigger impact. I, I wanted to make sure that the, the work I was doing, not just the work I was doing, but all the people around me were having a were having a fundamental impact on the world. So I kind of got drawn into the, the business agility space to make sure that people working on the right things is, is, is fundamentally my background. And how about you, Rob? Yeah, so uh, I guess I've, I've come from a project management background uh, and, and initially in the IT management space as well. And I guess I, got, I came into, you know, this industry, this transformation agile industry thing, um, kicking and screaming, actually. I kind of didn't really want to do it, but I was forced via um, a set of circumstances that were out of my control to, to try this thing. And uh, and despite my resistance, sounds like um, you were being under you were under duress. I was it really it, <laughs> it was it was either do it or or lose half the team that um oh wow that uh, that were you know um, I don't know um, evangelists for this kind of way of working and um and and so I I gave it a go reluctantly and then found myself six months later you know realizing that this was actually a way better way of working than I'd been doing before. And actually I was having more fun mm. and I was, uh, and we were getting better results for the, for both the team as well as for the stakeholders, you know, for the people who were paying for the work itself. And so, you know, I, I had this paradigm shift for me um, about at about the 12 month mark. And since then I've been um, an evangelist, I, I guess, as well. I've, I've never been a purist. Um, you know, it's not, I, I, while I did have my epiphany, I didn't have a spiritual movement or anything like that, yep. but, um, I really wanted to share that with people because I realized that you could, you could bring yourself differently to work every single day and get, um, the same outcomes, if not way better outcomes by, by looking at things very differently and managing things differently. And I guess, um, for me, the idea was, you know, how do I share that with the world and how do I, um, how do I just, you know, continue to do what I was now loving? And so I got into transformation um, and learned from some of the best in the market, I think, at the time in the in the early 2000s and then um, started leading my own transformations. Eventually, 
was leading in a, uh, I went into consulting and I was leading a, an agile practice at, um, at one of the consultancies and ran in and I needed an overflow agency. Mm. So I went to market and I needed them down in Melbourne and I found this um, epic crew um, that were, you know, well, I found Brad realistically and, yeah. um, and geez, we loved working together. We had such a good time. Glad I chose <laughs> epic at the time at what it was to help us. And then when the opportunity arrived, you know, jumped at the chance to come on board and, and then ex- expand out from there with Brad. So, and the rest is history. Yeah. And so, and, and so, when was that? How long have you guys actually been working together? Well, longer than we've been working together at Epic. Then, in that regard, mm. um, I think we started. I don't know what was it, two thousand and fifteen, maybe two thousand fourteen. We started working, but by the time I came on board, Epic, I think it was two thousand. Like early, I was actually on board in two thousand fifteen, but it was the twenty sixteen sort of financial year that we that we really started to kick off together and expand and do what we do today. And so, what is business agility? I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of it, but I I guarantee you they probably don't understand it. So break it down for us. How do you define what business agility is all about? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. I'll go first and then Brad can add his his is our two cents as well. Um look it's a it's an evolving space. We got into this way earlier than anybody else um, because we realized that agile on its own just couldn't really achieve the outcomes that a lot of our organizations were looking for. And and we never got into it as I said to be a purist organization to only do agile. We want to do we want to make a, a, you know, a significant difference in people's lives. So business agility, um, if you summarize it, is the ability for an organization to um, quickly pivot efficiently, effectively, without losing the cohesion of all the things that are happening within the organization. And it's made up of a variety of disciplines. It, there's no um, start or end of what is in that toolkit. It's definitely not just agile. Um, that's only one tool in that toolkit. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's a whole variety of things that actually enable a business to make those shifts whenever they need to, but without losing, you know, the good stuff along along the way. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good summary, Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, business agility is the broader picture, really. It's the broader organizational picture about are you actually hitting outcomes? Are you actually growing? I think a lot of companies went there and adopted agile, um, and they went, yeah, we're agile now. But in actual fact, nothing really changed. You know, a couple mm. of process changes here, but you know, from a business outcome perspective. So the C levels in the C suite were just like, okay, we're doing it, but it's just another methodology, a project management methodology. Business digitally doesn't look at it like that. It really does take all the bigger questions and in a really dynamic market, um, that's what business leaders want. So, you know, it tackles questions about how we're structured, it t- tackles questions about are we working on the right stuff, do we stop stuff? You know, we, we've, we've shut down, walked into organisations under the business digitally domain and shut down tens of millions of dollars of in-fight projects because there's just better stuff to be working on. <laughs> so um, they're the kind of things that we would tackle um, and we will do that on a Friday afternoon. That's that's that, that has happened before. Wow. And then start stuff up, which is really innovative and the, the companies that really buy into that mindset that, you know, the best ideas we haven't even had yet are always going, hey, we've got a better idea over here, you know. Is there anything we can stop to be able to unleash this because we have a market opportunity that's just emerged? Um, those are the organisations that love the business digitally movement because they can they can leverage market opportunities like startups do because it's really that's i mean startups are so nimble mm. they have business digitally in their dna and, and we ultimately we teach corporates how to how to behave and act like startups i was going to ask that so is there a particular size or shape of a business where 
business agility practices are, are best suited or can they be applied across the board? Yeah, look, it, it, it's, it can be applied across the board, absolutely. Like no, nobody doesn't benefit from, from the stuff that we introduce to that organization. The smaller ones, though, they, they naturally have it. It's it's it. They have to. They're wearing ten hats. Um, they haven't got huge silos that are built up, and um, and they can ra- rapidly uh, adjust to whatever's happening in front of them, just because they're small. I mean, small teams are more nimble. I think by nature, uh, large enterprises are the ones that benefit the most because they're the ones that over the course of time their fabric has created these processes, these silos, um, and in many ways they're not just functional silos; they're knowledge silos and. And uh, have created, they've created themselves. They've actually designed themselves from the outset to be, you know, a very stable organisation that um, that actually drives cost out, that reduces the risk. The bigger they get, the the more difficult it is to do things because um, they're layering those things on top of each other. And over time, you know, they've just built this this behemoth right that's very difficult to um, shift or adapt if they should want to. Yeah. So the bigger ones. Are more likely to get the biggest impact, but all of them benefit from from I guess what we preach, if you like. Yeah. Can you um can you break it down into some practical examples of of what are sort of some of the things that you do when you're being brought into a business? Yeah. Look, the first thing that we we do um uh is we want to know why. Like, there's no point. Um, just changing for the sake of change. Um, we we want to know what are they trying to achieve. So it's always got to have an outcome in mind, you know, an end state in mind. Uh, and so practically, we'll 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 try to um, obtain that information and then make sure that there's alignment across the business that that's actually what they want. Because one of the things Brad and I've learned in in our journey on transformation is that. Um, if you don't get everybody on board up front, um, then the likelihood of you being able to achieve that that future state is significantly lower, mm. and and it will be undercut by you know you know just people just not even knowing what they're supposed to be doing right and not really knowing what the destination looks like. So they're all going to head off in their own direction. So I think the first thing we do is try to make sure that we understand what that future state really looks like for them. We help educate them about what that looks like. Um, as well, because many people don't have that vision of the future state, but they do know something's wrong and I need to change. Mm. So we help them with that. And then when when we've gotten there, then then what we do is we work with them to co-design, I guess, the journey moving forward. So how do we, you know, what is the, the big wins that we can do um, that might take a little bit more time and a lot more experimentation? And what are the quick wins that we can get in very, very rapidly and just get that momentum going? So we work with them to identify that because realistically, this is their journey um, and we're just there to hold their hand and guide them along the way. So, yeah, that would be where we, that would be the most practical way of commencing. Brad, anything you could add to that? Uh, yeah, the only thing I'd add to that is um, a lot of companies have already, like, it doesn't a new thing. It's kind of been around for a while now. It's actually really mature. So, mm. you know, kind of got born in like, you know, early 2000s. So it's been around for 20 years now. What we do find, though, is everyone has kind of implemented local optimization of things in their little back garden so you know my world is working agile but i don't interact with the broader picture so therefore what we experience often with companies who have tried to lead them through through the process is they actually have a lot of um, handoff points between their own internal teams which is creates waste and delay 
So even organizations that have been on the journey themselves need to then go on it again. So it's not a, um, as Robin mentioned, you start on this journey and you get there. Often what we find is the first iteration through, they actually just um, solve their initial problems and get mm. new problems. Um, so, so often we'll go in there and go, okay, we need to, we need to blow the teams up again because either the, the strategy's changed, the direction's changed, or the way you've locally implemented it, you've got a bigger system problem now. Uh, and that's exactly what we see at large organizations. They, they will implement locally, but in actual fact, they don't consider the, the broader system. So the whole system requires a reset. And, that, and, they're, and they're, they're big changes. They're big changes. Is it often the case, guys, that when you first get the call to come in and help an organization, they can't, uh, the, the, the C-suite, the leadership team can't quite put their finger on what the problem is? They know that something is not working as well as it should, but... Um, they're a bit clueless as to exactly what's going on. Uh, yeah, clueless is a bit harsh, actually. I, think, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> I, I can honestly tell you that there is no organisation we've ever gone into where the leadership hasn't um, acknowledged that there's a challenge. They're not exactly right. going out there yeah. asking yeah. for asking for help when they don't think they need it. That's exactly. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I think, but in terms of how that kind of unfolds in a typical sense, is that they'd probably work with one of one of the large strategy organizations out there and, and you know, something something has shifted in the organization. Either there's a recognition that that, that something, um, that they, they're not working fast enough or they're not able to pivot quickly enough or take advantage or, you know, meet a challenge or whatever as readily as they would hope. They've, and, and let's say that they're, like, for example, their strategy might have changed. They go and work with a, a, an organization, you know, one of the big tier consultancies and they, they help them strategize about, you know, how they might look moving forward and how they might operate, I guess, in a general sense. But what's lacking, and by the time they come to us, they're looking for the expertise and the real runs on the ground on how to actually implement that new strategy. Mm. And mm. and so when they come to us, and first of all, I, I, I think we need to recognize that actually this is a collective movement that's happening across, um, across you know, even, even our peers in, and, and well, you might describe them as competitors, right, across, um, across the world. This thinking has evolved and it's gotten pretty standard and people know that this is this is a, a part of their um, inevitable journey. And so they go with these strategists, they say, yep, let's make this change. And then they look for who can help us make this change and ha- and re- remove some of that risk and remove some of that unknowing unknown stuff and who's got the runs on the board. So they come to us for that. Yep. And, um, and we're able to sort of quickly mobilize, um, I think, faster than most people in market we can mobilize we can get that journey started and we can do it in a way that's sustainable that's not going to hurt the organization you know we do it with a human-centric sort of mentality um, we're empathetic to the to the change itself so we understand that this is a scary time for executive and it's a scary time for others in the organization who who don't have that vision that some of the leaders have about a future state so we, we help them navigate this change and we we help them stay safe throughout this journey and mm. and and help them actually build their future state together because the last thing you want is an external party to come in and change their organization for them to them and um and and then leave them and drop them in it when you when you've left the building so <laughs> yeah. see you guys we're out of here <laughs> yeah exactly so so that is that is a fundamental change we kind of do that and we do that with them so that when we leave, this is their change. They've yeah, done that, they right? And yeah. and they own it. And then and then they're the stewards of it moving forward. And by the way, it also builds a huge capability set in their organization that they haven't had before, where change is something they can legitimately do anytime they want. 
um, and it, and it's a lot cheaper than it's ever been in the past because you know it's in their it's in their DNA now. So um, yeah, have you have you had examples where uh, you've been dealing with companies and they believe there are you know there's nothing to see here. We're all good. We don't have any challenges. <laughs> <laughs> you know things are working perfectly, and you've gone in. Uh, however, you were were brought in. Uh, you start peeling away the onion, and um, all of a sudden there are a multitude of problems. And then it's like that aha moment for the CEO going, "Oh, like maybe there is something here." Have you had those examples? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of them. I, mean, I think awareness is always the the first step. I, I don't think we ever get brought in because everything is perfect. I think yeah. there is always a recognition and realization that things are, could be better. Uh, how better? I, th- I think he's probably open, and people don't know how to measure that or articulate or, or put that into words. But generally, especially at the C the C suite, they know there's a problem. Um, what they don't know is how to how to fix it. So I suppose that's kind of where we come in. And and as you said, um, the first step is really just awareness. So awareness of current state, awareness of why you're losing staff, awareness why you can't attract talent, awareness of why you don't have objectives which are realistic. Um, so the awareness and listening piece is uh, is, is super important. Um, but I, they they know something. They know they know something's up. Um, I think one thing that's interesting about when we come in, and even this happens in the same organisation in different departments, we often behave in one of two ways. Um, sometimes we're, we're the liberators. So as Rob mentioned before, a lot of companies have got so stable and so controlled and there's so much governance, there's no flexibility. So sometimes we, we act as the liberators or the freedom fighters and we break down stuff and you know, we, we challenge things. But sometimes we act as the policemen as well. There's some environments which are really, really loose, you know, and we're like, hey, you need some rules in place here, right? Like you're never going to. Let's rein this in. Yeah, yeah. And and even in the same company between different departments and areas. So, you know, understanding of where the freedom fighters or the the police is actually something we do through the awareness phase. Hmm. Um, And then we have that conversation to go, okay, look, guys, we think we need some more rules, you know. I know one company that we worked for, they had, you know, 24 in-flight initiatives that were running. But the truth was that they had like, you know, three or four people on each of these initiatives and they were not really running them. It was all pretend. It was all, you know, um, um, just a facade on the outside. The truth is only one of their initiatives was actually set up for success. So we're like, hey, guys, you're not running 24 initiatives. You're running one. So let's have that conversation and we're going to stop the other 23. And that was a real moment for them. They they were like, oh, what do you mean? Are we running 24 initiatives? We're like, no, no, no. So we came in and we were certainly the police. And we're like, listen, you are not set up for success here. You're not enabling your team. You wonder why you're not hitting outcomes because you're only staffing up one initiative for success. So we're going to stop the other 23, give them their time back. And when you're ready to start the priority number two, let's do it properly so we can actually hit those outcomes. What is the um, what is the collective view or the maybe the universal view of you guys when you're when you're brought in to an organisation is is there natural suspicion scepticism? I'm going to lose my job. These guys are going to restructure everything. They're going to change things. It's going to be bad. You know, start you know, <laughs> googling. Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> Um, look, I think we, we, we navigate the, the full gamut of feelings and emotions um, when, when someone announces that there's a transformation on. And, and we don't always recommend that they do um, that, yes, announce that, that there's yeah. a transformation yeah. on, right? But, um, but if someone does say, look, we're going to make a, rap- a change, there's an, inevitably there's people who will look at that as an opportunity and there are those that are looking at that as something to be fearful of. And... That's again why I think that you know at Epic we try to take a very empathetic approach to this change because well change is really hard and and in many cases it's really scary and 
And strangely enough, the change that we're talking about, while we're trying to unlock the organization itself, like the actual structure of, of this thing, what we're really doing is we're working with people um, that need to make the change within themselves. And when and and that means that they need to unlock their own thinking, um, have a, you know, a much more um, learning mindset. They need to really change the the way that they bring themselves is is fundamentally what it is. That's a really hard thing to do to get people to change the way they bring themselves to an organization when they think the organization has requested you know x of them. They don't want to start delivering y, um, and then also when they've never been nobody's ever really <laughs> trained them on how to shift their own style, their own approach, their own principles, their own values properly. They haven't said. Um, they haven't really sat down and said, you know, this is who we would like you to like you to to um, be, and sort of, um, I don't know, that's a bit harsh. Maybe not who we want you to be, but we want you to be authentic. We want you to be creative. We want you to be, um, you know, unique and offer offer up new and and amazing opportunities to this organization. We want you to fully mobilize your true self to make this possible. I think as soon as you start getting into that realm, people start um it gets a little scary right mm. because all of a sudden they're like oh you mean i have to change <laughs> and then that's something that a lot of people they don't like to look in the mirror sometimes and realize that you know as as one of our mentors says that they, they're the problem but they're also the yeah, solution that's not <laughs> right. my job you know is it um is it the case that um after you've done a business transformation piece of work that often the advice might be to the business, you actually need to hire more people, not cut them. You need to you need to bring on headcount to to make yourselves more uh, profitable or more effective as a business. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, there's capability gaps everywhere, mm. and I think companies mm. run on really um, um, oily rags sometimes. So I think there's a couple of different ways to fill capability gaps. So one is cross training, so creating more team based skills. Um, so I-based schools, you know, I'm really good at one thing, but a T-based school is I'm really good at one thing, but I can do other things as well. So, you know, um, flexibility and training programs are super important to be great, you know, to get, you know, people into T-based school modelling to be able to fill those gaps. But absolutely, when they've got big targets, they often will have to, well, they will sometimes have to um, double down on those. And, you know, some of the companies we work through that really are aggressive will do things like double-double where they want to double twice. Um, and the reason they want to do that is because financially they are losing in market to startups. Like startups are winning, not, you know, we're not talking about like a, a couple of grand, we're talking like millions and tens of millions of dollars out of the big boys. They're just losing to startups all the time. Mm. Um, and because it's good, they're faster and more nimble. So I, I think it depends um, on the environment and the awareness and, and, and what we see. Um, that on the flip side of the, of, the, of the capability growth paradigm, there is the there's a lot of waste in the system and people are sitting around just going to meetings all day. So even though we do see the need to fill capability gaps, we also see the um, streamlining of processes actually reducing a lot of cost. And you know the cost reduction you know is in between ten to thirty percent depending upon how hard you want to drive the lean lean angle. So even though we want to you know potentially spend more money and bringing capability in, we actually also want to reduce money. By actually removing waste out of the system and and um, and making sure everything's as streamlined as it can be, so it swings and roundabouts is the answer. Yep. I was just going to add add to that that I, I think I think it's important to remember here that um, that when we're talking about business agility and and I 
we just need to be careful that people don't think um, transformation business agility is all about cost savings or is it all about headcount reduction? That's that to be honest is a is a is a more of a '90s sort of yes. a thing rather and, yes. and early thousands rather than than where we are today. Um, I think what we need to remember is that um, that when when we do come into an organisation, what we do find very often is people have this um, preconceived idea about what it is that they need to do, but they're looking often at the symptom of the problem. Um, they're not actually looking at the root cause. The root cause, you know, are things like there is too much waste in your system. You aren't making decisions fast enough. You aren't clear about what the outcomes need to look like. You're not giving anybody any insights about what success really looks like. You know, you're not taking the time to ensure that these this the whole environment not just projects but the business itself the fundamental foundations of what it is that you who it is that you are has been set up for that success for that future state so the reality is what we're going to do with with these organizations is we're going to take a holistic view of what is going on where do they want to go and then what do we need to change to make that a reality if you can't do it today and okay. we're assuming we'll check it that you can't do it today so maybe sometimes people are mistaken but generally speaking we'll we'll work with them to find out what it is and it can be anything and the last thing that I know that Epic looks at is how do we drive cost out of the system by headcount reduction? There are people who think that that might be the right way of going, but to be honest, I think most organizations don't really, you know, maybe maybe it depends on their strategy, but most organizations don't really care about headcount as a, an attribute of change. What they're caring about is how do I increase my market share? How do I make greater um, greater how do revenue. I how do I, yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you can do that without reducing headcount, I think most people would actually tip the balance and say, "Yeah, let's do that." That's right? true. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, but sometimes, look, sometimes the waste is you, you've 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 filled a gap by just plugging more people into it, right? And mm -hmm. and that's probably not in a very efficient way of doing things. But we would look to. If that was ne was necessary to look into that, we'd look at well, how can we better use these skills, these amazing assets that you have at, at your disposal, in in more awesome, wonderful ways somewhere else. You know, first. You've both mentioned startup businesses. Um, one of the celebrated startups in Australia, no longer a startup business, is Afterpay. Uh, now um, the subject of a well billion dollar takeover from Square, thirty nine billion dollars. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Brad, I know you did some early work with uh, with Nick Molnar. Can you can you tell us about some of the work that you did with with Afterpay because it's a it's an amazing case study. Yeah, yeah, they they're awesome, right? And um and and, and Nick's awesome. They're they're an awesome company. So they're they're Melbourne based. Um, they they had offices in Sydney as well. So um, we kind of got involved with them for a bit over a, for a bit over a year. I think we were working with um, Nick and Ant. It wasn't just Nick and and the entire leadership team. And um, we were pretty much in, brought into them when they were going through a M&A um, phase. So they were mm -hmm. buying technology companies and they had integration issues um, right. about getting breaking down silos between these companies that they were buying. Um, that was one area. Um, and then the second area they were doing is it was just before, it was before the expansion into New Zealand, UK and the US. So they were really clear that they needed to integrate all these companies they were buying to get them to be a single single company. Um, but they also had really aggressive growth targets. So um, that was that was the engagement um, yes. with those guys. And, and when you work with a company like Afterpay, they're a great case study because what they did incredibly well is just brought in great humans. So they just brought in amazing talent to to, to lift the bar. So. 
We will work with some companies which are more traditional. Afterpay obviously is not that organisation. They were so easy to work with. And I think, yeah. I think Rob, the first time we met Nick, um, mm. we went out for we went out for lunch with him in San Fran, um, mm. and pretty much he said, "What do I have to do? Just coach me." Mm. Now yeah, you know, like cool. like <laughs> like it's not like you know we had to build. We were obviously he knew who we were, um, but he was super coachable. You know, and when you have leaders like that that can turn around and go, "Hey, I know that I, I know we need to move faster. I know I need to do some stuff. I don't know what it is. Just tell me what it is." So we literally gave him some um, some tidbits at the table. We said, "Hey, mate, these are the messages we need to deliver." Um, and he's like, "Great. When can we do it?" And we we're like, "You know, as soon as you can." He goes, "Let's cut a video now." And we literally walked from lunch across the road to a park and started cutting video messages for his for internal communications yep. for areas wow. that needed him. Amazing. And when you see that, you're like, man, you're not, you are so fast. Like, that's how fast they work. This is not like, let's go write a brief back at the script to get the videographer to set up a time. But like, we were done. We were done after, you know, 15 spring rolls, a couple of dumplings and a beer. And we'd already <laughs> yeah. had a video, and we already had a video cut with Nick key, uh, delivering key messages to his global organization about where mm. he wanted to take them. So, mm. so yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a great experience for us. And, you know, they deserve all the rewards that they've got because they, they've just done everything right along the journey to be honest yeah and i i look i i didn't get it as much of a chance as brad and the team in um melbourne to work with um nick but that 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 day was impressive i it wasn't that day it was a couple of days actually but that that time was very impressive nick is amazing one thing i i talking about his connection to business agility and and sort of um you know some of the challenges it sort of highlights to me some of the challenges many leaders are facing and and sort of sharing this with you he he was really frustrated with these amazing people who were looking at the technologies that they were implementing and 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 a whole variety of different program programs that they had running. And his um, first thing, thought was, "I need to be. I, I've got to be so fast. Like we have to be so fast. I know what the competitors are doing. They're on the same journey as us. And I, but I'm. We're in front of them, and we need to. We need to maintain that that advantage, right? Mm. So he was. What he was hearing from his leadership team, amazing individuals that um, that were doing their very best for the organization. But what he was hearing, I don't know if you know much about the way in agile they look at they they size things up. But we were using t-shirt sizes, and he was he was saying, you know, everything that comes out of my team is extra large. Now put this into perspective. He's come from a startup background, but they are really taking on the world by storm, right? And so they're putting in. He's brought all these amazing individuals in to help build out the the um, technology capabilities that they need to support millions and millions of users around the world. And so these people are building platforms and technologies that that actually have to support that kind of throughput, right? That kind of service. And um, and so, of course, naturally, they, they're trying to put in something in place that's, um, that's robust and it's high quality and, and especially in this um, finance market space, right? So, but everything was coming back to him as extra large. And, um, and he said to us, we said, well, what, what do we need to do? What does success look like for you? And he said, what success looks like to me is nothing comes to me that's extra large. I never want to hear extra large again, right? He's like, I don't need it to be you know, iteration one to be the most impressive, robust, scalable system on the planet, I need to experiment. I need to innovate. I need to get this happening faster. We need to qualify that this is going to work. I want to see, I'd rather see a heap of smalls and some mediums, but I never, ever want to see an extra large, right? And I was like, 
you know, that's a pretty straightforward metric, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you want to make sure that you've got small batch sizes running through your system, that the that the work that they're putting is not gold-plated yet, not just mm. yet, right? Yep. That you're experimenting more often than, than you're um, solidifying. And to me, that is business agility like in a nutshell don't you don't do extra large anymore right you do you do the smalls mediums and maybe larges from time to time but you really what you're really trying to do is you're really trying to keep your organization small nimble uh, and able to adapt very rapidly before you commit to really big investments and i i I was impressed like that to me that was like a a a great example yeah oh amazing amazing yeah so tell us about covid obviously that's um upset the the apple cart in the world economy for the better part of 18 months businesses have, have folded gone under reduced headcount the, the the whole thing we're all we're all now working from home and that creates their own challenges so what are you seeing in the marketplace about how uh covid has spread its tentacles into the workplace and the challenges that result um mm. from that yeah Wow, is 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 my first response to what's happened to the marketplace post COVID? It is uh, it has shifted the market so so rapidly and so heavily. We have more work today in transformation than we've had pre COVID. It's the okay. reality is that um, COVID has created a perfect storm for organisations who many of whom have always thought, yeah, I need to do, get on this agility thing. I need to I do need to do this sort of stuff, but I've always got these you know, these targets or these other strategies that are needing to be solved first. Um, COVID has unlocked that. They've gone, oh my God, like we aren't set up as well as we can see some of our competitors who may have made those investments previously. Um, We're not set up as well as them. They're rapidly changing and we're barely managing to keep the lights on. Um, And there are others really forward-thinking organizations that are like, there are real opportunities here. Like if we can realize the opportunities that we're seeing in market right now, it's a game changer how do we get to a point where we can rapidly change, right? Because their organization hasn't been set up to do that um, as a default position. And um, and then to be honest, there's a whole bunch of people I've seen out there that we've been talking to for years that I can still see have got their head in the sand. You know, they're just going, oh, it'll get back to normal soon. And and I've, we're working with their, their competitors and we know that that's not the way that their competitors are looking at it. They're looking at this as a very challenging time, but a really um, creative opportunity to, um, you know, to really do something different and make it take it take the market right where where these opportunities present. Um, so that's what we're seeing in market. Any anything you'd add to that, Brad? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's a <laughs> it's a game changer, as you say, right? Like, uh, so we've doubled in size, I think, this year alone. Mm. Um, 2020, 2020, we were the the same. But this year, we've doubled in size because of people were like, well. We have to do this now. Yep. So I totally agree with Rob. Everyone's like being, yeah, we should do it. And what is it? And the board have suggested it. It's nice to have. Say that. Yep. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, yep. we're doing it. And I think Rob's point is really good. Like the difference between organizational mindset is dramatic. So there are companies out there who have been doing this for a while, things like dig- dig- digital nomads. So I don't care where you work as long as you bring the capability. So they've, I mean, there are companies out there, there are Australian-based companies actually lead the way in some of this stuff. Um, who go, I don't care where you are, what town you are, as long as you turn up and, and do everything now yeah. with the movement of working from home. The actual opportunity to get the right, right capability globally is actually 
or has broadened the opportunity. I mean, I know we have time zone issues, but certainly we're seeing much more sharing between the Asian markets, so Hong Kong, Singapore, and really across Australia. Like it doesn't matter that you're Melbourne or Sydney anymore, and as well as New Zealand. So the New Zealand you're, talent you're right. ha- you're right. has come in. Because meetings are so all happening ex- online, right? It just it d- doesn't it, matter. It doesn't matter. What you want to get is the right, the right human who's got the right behaviours and the right technical capability to what you need. That's what you want. Where they come from, you don't care. But, but companies have been doing this for a while now. now. Now it's becoming more mainstream. The other thing that we're seeing is with um, online, everything is slower. Um, you don't get that real kind of human connection, the, you know, the, the water cooler, let's go for a kind of a, a coffee thing. So, so organisations that aren't good at collaboration find it really difficult, who don't have mm. collaboration as part of their, their DNA and their culture. It's, it's difficult. It's just so slow for them. They find it really difficult. They find it disconnected. Organisations that have invested in high collaboration and the mechanism for, for, for high vibrancy and, and, and multi-collaboration and are good at things like, you know, internal facilitation um, or recognise an actual fact they need to train their, you know, their people in just facilitation, online facilitation technique. They're the ones that are moving much faster because they recognise everything slower online. So therefore the facilitation, the collaboration is more important. So I think it's just the... The, the distance between people who are taking advantage of the opportunity of COVID and as Rob said, the ones who are going, I don't know where to start, mm. uh, is really stark. It's really mm. stark. So given that the workplace as we know it has forever changed, the, the nine to five, Monday to Friday, in the office, at the desk, those days are probably gone forever. Even if they're, they're gone. So yeah. How do you recommend maintaining a great culture and a great work environment for staff members when the workplace is no longer there and everyone's working remotely? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's a good question and, and it's something that um, we face into even in our business, but I think all organisations uh, are facing Everyone, so everyone. Yeah, every, yeah. Everyone, right, yeah. Uh, number one is um, uh, more open spaces for people to just be connected. So it is important to just um, have over-communication rather than under-communication because people need it. I mean, we're mammals as creatures, so we need human contact. We're, we're, social, we're social creatures. That's how human beings work. So over-communicate rather than uncommunicate. Um, create more spaces rather than less spaces. If you feel like you're not doing enough, you're not doing enough. So you need to create space for connection time. Um, and they can come in lots of different ways. It can come in education. It can just come in open space. There's lots of ways to create um, open space. We've seen a lot of movements between, uh, and we really honour this too, um, just one-on-one reach-outs. So in yeah. whatever, like, yep. you know, Friday afternoon, just call everyone. Hey, mate, how you doing? Just like check in. Like it's so fundamentally basic. <laughs> yeah. um, but you don't get those little check-ins online anymore because you're in these group meetings. So, you know, texting someone or, or just giving someone a call and just doing a five-minute check-in goes a long way um, mm-hmm. to building the kind of the cultural fabric of the organisation. So that's what we're seeing a lot of, a lot of leaders just reaching out and we do the same thing, just reaching out and calling people. Uh, and again, you need to do more of it, more than you think. And if, you, and, you, and if you're not connected or your people are not connected, then you're not going to get the collaboration, you're not going to get the throughput. So these are the fun, foundational building blocks of, um, of high performance is really, really basic culture and checking in on mm. one-on-ones. And, and do, you think that's, um, do you think that's overlooked, Rob? Oh, ma- massively, mate. Um, let's, let's, let's put it this way. Um, 
At a time when we are no longer face-to-face and the connect- connection is more difficult to come by, it's the time you need to be more human than ever. Mm-hmm. And and the job now, I think, of um, managers and leaders is to, you know, give up some of the some of their structure and their processes and start to just behaving like a good neighbor like a good like a family member right look after these people because they're these are amazing people that are working with you and and that's they're amazing people first right so i think what we need to do is we need to shift um our thinking around you know always looking for output and um throughput and process um adherence and start looking at at the human connection you know start looking at um how do we enhance that because if we can do that well first of all we're not going to lose people in a highly highly sought after talent space right we're also going to create as brad said that high performance thinking like they want to help us they want to do things they want to turn on their video camera and participate in a meeting rather than just be this blank black space yeah you know they yeah. they, they actually which which in and of itself you know we all know communication is 70 percent body language right so just having your camera turned on because they they feel safe with you um to share their background their kids running around and being maniacs behind them and all that sort of stuff it's critical i'll give you an example yes like it's not usual for me i mean maybe in the epic it's more usual than others but it's not usual for me to um you know not turn up to like not um put all of my clients first and instead to give one of our people who are having a birthday a call and sing to him right <laughs> but that's that's literally Love what it. we're doing at Love the moment it. right yeah. so and, and he shared unfortunately he recorded it and shared it on our um communication <laughs> channels the other day but but you're next but, it, it, on it, the it, voice it, it, yeah it's, it's not your birthday is it justin <laughs> no, no, we've missed it we've missed you it. don't want to hear it <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff you need to do you need to stop thinking about you know what are you working on are you fully utilized blah blah, blah. you need to start thinking about how are you turning up today are you are you okay? And have you had enough connection and enough? Have you filled up the cup of the people around you um, so that they're they're doing their best? Yeah. All right, we're almost out of time. Let's let's get out the crystal ball, fellas. I'd like to sort of you look inward and, and see where Epic is going over the next mm-hmm. um, twelve months to to say to five years. I mean, what's 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 mm-hmm. the blue sky for for Epic? You're you're doing this for businesses, but obviously trying to do that sometimes internally is, is tough. So what's what's the vision from you guys about where you'd like to take the business? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think for, for us, we really just look at the world and the marketplace. And right now there's a massive demand for change. So um, uh, from our perspective, we, we've got opportunity afoot. We, um, we believe we've got a really good cultural model for the implementation of strategic change. Um, that we've kind of proven out in Australia, New Zealand, and um, and Singapore. Mm. Um, we've got plans for expansion into into the into the US, and I think ultimately we'll probably end up in in Europe. Um, but I don't think we believe in forced change as well. So mm-hmm. you know, we've been around for five years, um, Rob and I together, and, and we've been practicing probably for ten to twenty years. So um, there's definitely the opportunity for growth, and the and the and the world needs it. So I can't see us not continuing to grow as an organization um, because the demand is there. And I think organizations, the, the mindset shift because of COVID has happened that they need to get on this banner and they need to experiment more and more with these with these different approaches that are now not new approaches anymore. They're actually much more mature. So um, for us, we'll continue to grow. We'll grow at a rate which we feel is sustainable. Um, we only bring in people who really honor our kind of, you know, human-centric value movement because that's kind of, what we have, you know, has tested and proven to to work for us, um, because this is not just a, you know, 
one plus one equals two kind of conversation. It is it is really about organisations and where they're up to and really listening to 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 what they what they need, how far we grow and you know what we do and and the expanse of that. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll throw that to Rob to answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Um, okay, how do I say this? So I think look, our purpose, as I said, is to create amazing workplaces that people love, and we want to we want to touch as many people as we can with that. Um, so. One of our team was telling. I was I just threw out a number the other day, and I said, "Oh, you know, maybe as a metric, I'd love to. I'd love to impact a million people's lives." And then they were like, "Rob, have you have you seen some of our clients? Like, based on the clients we have, we've probably already done that, right?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, damn, I didn't realize." So they were like, um, "And I was like, okay, let's let's go five million. And they were like, "No, let's go ten. We don't know. What we do know is we want to we want to impact as many people's lives as we can." We want to do that in a very positive way. We're at work five out of seven days a week. So realistically, if we really want to make a dent in this universe, as they say, then 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 we think transformation is the way to do that. So let's we'll keep heading in that direction. Our vision is for our business is to be the go-to business agility partner on the planet. And that says quite a few things. First of all, um, it says that we're going to be planet-wide. So we're definitely going, we've got global ambitions and, and we're finding... Um, real opportunity to, to take those ambitions and make them a reality. Um, you know, right now we're going to take advantage of what I think will be the next two to three years of really a hot market in terms of transformation. We're going to take advantage of that and do what we can with it. So, um, you know, as Brad said, though, we're not going to be stupid about it. We're going to be, mm. we're going to look for sustainable change, sustainable growth. And I think probably the thing that's really interesting, um, I think about the way that we've always led Epic. We never thought, you know, five years ago, wow, we're going to be, you know, close to 100 people, 60 coaches. I think we're even more than that now by the time this podcast comes out. We're probably 80 something. I don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know is, is the reality. And it's happening so fast and and and, um, and it's being done by this beautiful tribe we've created. Um I think what we've always said is we put it out to the universe where what we want to achieve and what mm -hmm. we what, who we want to be and the universe is providing and and we're not forcing it as Brad said like we're just we're letting it come. If the universe says we need to change direction at some point in the near future, then we will. It's it, it, because hey, agility is part of our DNA, yeah. so we'll yeah. just make that change. Uh, I don't know. I can't tell you where we are. Five years sounds like a very long time in our industry. <laughs> I don't know where we'll be five years from now. No, I know no we'll one touched, does. No one does. No. And mm. I know we'll have touched millions of more people's lives. That's all I know. And that's all we're really striving for. Well, guys, it's been great having you on the program today. Some some really great insights, fantastic case studies that you've spoken about. Rob Gaunt and Brad Bennett from Epic. Guys, remember that name, Epic. It's uh, a force of nature. We welcome, mm. uh, we welcome your input and thank you very much for your time and um, your insights on the program today and good luck in the future. Thanks very much, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Justin.